Hey everybody, I'm your host Rodney Elmer. Welcome to the Mountain Deer Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Ryan Elmer. How we doing guys? Taylor Elmer. Hey, hey. Casey's back at the farm. So silence. <laughs> but we have a special guest star. Drum roll. Drum roll. The boss, Teresa. Hello everyone. That's Glad our, to be here. Teresa's our mother. Um, the matriarch. She's the, the boss. boss. So you were going to get to know her a little bit today. A long time ago. No, not that long ago. In the galaxy. It wasn't far, a, far away. It was at least older than us. <laughs> <laughs> I went fishing. Her parents owned a lake. And so it became. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, was, that was a while ago, huh? Wow. That's a flashback. Well, sorry that, that that one unfortunate day brought you to everything where you are right now. <laughs> I apologize, everyone. Okay, Mom. So um, how, about you, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, and let's start with uh, everybody knows, obviously, you're Rodney's lovely wife and our fantastic mother, and uh, you're pretty active in this whole shebang. So tell us, what, what is it that you do around here in the old shop? What do I not do in the old shop? That works too. Um, <laughs> pretty much do everything. The only thing I really don't do is I don't mount moose. They're just way too heavy, and I'm not going to struggle mounting a moose. I'll skin a moose, but I'm just not mounting a moose. No, it's a lot else, on that flusher wheel. It's heavy. That's a lot uh, of it's work. Heavy. It's heavy. It's like talking, a giant wet carpet. Oh, my yeah. God. We're talking yeah. hundreds of pounds, and I don't yeah. get paid for that. Yeah. So, uh, how did uh, how did you feel about moving into this? Because a lot of our listeners know if they listened to our earlier podcast, this whole thing started with a Christmas gift. When he asked for that, what were you like? You know what I mean? He's like, can you get me like a Cabela's deer mounting DIY kit? Oh, I thought, well, this is going to be great just because it's going to be way cheaper than bringing it to a taxidermist. He can do it himself and it would be, you know. A cheap cop-out Christmas gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was completely mistaken and uh, completely surprised at the same time. It turned into a lot. I don't oh know if you guys God. could really just did. hear that eye roll that she just did. <laughs> I could hear it. <laughs> oh, it was... Anyways, yeah, so it's it's been quite the ride it, it really has and it's brought us to here which which is absolutely fantastic and awesome i get to spend uh the evening uh chatting across the table having coffee with my sons minus casey and and rodney sitting next to me so uh yeah it's pretty cool that it's come pretty much full circle and then a bubble outside of it at the same time Tell us yeah your, it's yeah. led to a lot of different things yeah kind of give give him some perspective on like what it was like um when he started getting the business going like before you really had your hands in it too too much what was it like like seeing the development and then you guys started beginning like the planning process for this building like when did you know with him that this was something you guys had to like get into the day he comes home from work and says he quit his job <laughs> She's like, when he dropped the bomb, yeah. Yeah, we had talked about, oh, in about five years, I think I'm going to quit my job and I'll go full time. And he went to work one day, came back, said, I gave my notice. They told me to leave. And that was it. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess we're going to be dependent on taxidermy as an income. Yeah. And it was just 
part-time for a long time on the shop on, in the on the porch while I was doing daycare and having a night job and uh, doing all of that and then it turned into full-time and then it just became way too much for the house and yeah, there was okay. no separation between um, business hours and home life yeah and then the the day I had a customer show up on Thanksgiving while you guys were all gone hunting and you guys were really little at camp at, at the Elmer's camp and somebody shows up and they want to hang out because they've got no place to go while I'm trying to make pies for 32 people coming for Thanksgiving dinner and I said never again <laughs> I don't blame you one bit there yeah no I'd already been doing it part-time for 10 years and I was looking for an excuse to go full time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, so you just at, at any moment, you, no matter what you ever decide to do, you're going to have to just jump in. You're going to have to just do it. Yeah. And I had been thinking about it for a long time and just like, man, and when you feel like you're wasting your talents at what you're doing, it's time to grow out of it. Yeah. And it was really a growth thing, you know, not that I didn't learn a lot from my first my first job because it was it was awesome you know I, I was a stone cutter and I, I did it for 19 years I worked for Rulo Granite you know um, I, I did everything there was to do in the granite industry and yep. I can build you a mausoleum or, or a countertop you know I, I did a lot of different things had a lot of fun doing it and like I also learned profits were better than wages true you can work forever and not get rich because it takes all the time of forever in order to get all that money. I got a question for mom. How did you get involved in doing tax and full time with dad? So once he hit that kind of threshold, like, hey, he's, he's like, we're going to do this. He comes home, and tells you, you know, and you, you guys kind of decide that you're going to jump in it. When did you decide that you were going to get in there as well? Well, I kind of started helping him in the shop when he would leave for deer season for again six to eight weeks and people are still bringing stuff in so and it was on the porch and stuff had to be taken care of and then some of the stuff it was too heavy for one person or needed an extra pair of hands so I started yeah. helping him with that and then we decided when we started feeling guilty when we're having fun with you boys and we're not the shop trying to when it's part-time or even when he's full-time and we're feeling guilty that we're not working, something had to change. Yeah. So um, I was doing daycare during the day and a cleaning job at night and just the daycare. I love the kids. Uh, we'd go back to it in a heartbeat, but sometimes the, the, the structure that everybody wanted you to have and then I wanted it to be more like a home for the daycare kids. And it just, right. after 17 years of it, it was mm. time for a change. So. Yeah. We looked into, uh, said, hey, what's going to be the best investment for our money? And decided to have uh, build a building. And we built a building. And that's probably what's been one of the best things we've done, just because there's, there's an open and close sign. Yeah, and right. You have some separation between that bit work and home. And also, not only, not only that, it, you know, it concretes your business in the eye of the public, as well as also makes you feel different about your business. Right. That when you've got a brick and mortar, feeling. yeah, and you have now we have a responsibility, we have a place. You know, you have a mode that like when you go into the shop, it's shop time, you know, and you can like get into that frame. And then when you go home, 
Like you're not like six inches of wood away from work. Like right. you're you can put some distance between you and you know like separate separate that church and state, so to speak. Right, yep. and it it was a really good thing. And then if you want to work like a dog, and you want to be working on a Saturday, you're working on a Sunday, you can. Yep. Or if you want to work until midnight, you can. And I think people appreciated the shop because it's big enough that you can have multiple people in at the same time. I can deal with pretty much anything that can, you know, on North America that can walk into the shop. So yeah. it's big enough and it's it's got a, like you just said, a professional feel to it, but it's got an investment that we're invested in the customers and that we're not right. just fly by night. We're not going to be gone in six months after we do the first deer season and decide it's too much work. And right. It's still pretty homey though. Yeah. You know the vibe. Yeah, that that sure. part of it you is still a yes. little bit of that culture with you too. Right, right. You can't help but not do you that. You can't help. You know? it. Yep. And especially and you know, you're working with family. Yeah. 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 And that that part's an advantage for sure. Um, most of the time, we're really good at working together. Um, a lot of couples. No, I'm not saying we don't have our issues. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's been here for some of those screaming matches. Imagine working with your wife or husband. We've had every single day for sure. You know, but there's also been a, a lot of really good, good parts of it, and I think we'd miss it if we weren't doing it. I know one thing that growing up with you guys, you know, doing the tax arrangement, being in business full time together, one thing that r made me really appreciate you guys a lot is the fact that you st were still able to leave the shop stuff in the shop, even though home is not that far from here. Yeah. You know, the shops within walking distance of you know of our childhood home where you guys still live. And it was really nice to be able to see, of course, growing up, everybody, everybody's parents were divorced growing up. Yeah, and it was really cool to be able to be like, well, my parents are still together. What they do? And they know, work together. And they work together. It's yeah. like you have to have a pretty solid relationship in order to work together every day and then go home together every night and still leave work at work. It, it better be a little flexible. Yeah, There's plenty of stress. I mean, oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that But it did rain, create but... a strong family unit, though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Being like, hey, you know, nice. we can... And it, one, of the, one of the things it probably did was set up a how to, how to work with a family relationship because the three of us boys own multiple businesses together. And we have a similar relationship, right? It's family, but also in a work environment where there's stresses and other pressures and responsibilities. And, like, how do you guys kind of deal with that together? Like, how do you divide your responsibilities and how, like, how do you do this together? Because most people would be like, you know what I mean? They're half, like, super surprised, throat. let alone yeah. that brothers could work together, let, like, but husband and wife for so long in such a small space. We're pretty committed. In a stressful environment. I mean, we're pretty committed to each other and, and we're pretty committed to at least the, the need for things to work. You know what I mean? There's always that background need that we've got to have things work one way or the other. You know, we'll find a way if, if things get tougher, somebody has to work a little harder or something, it doesn't bother us any, you know, that, that part of it's a help. I don't think we actually have any defined roles in the shop for who does what. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, a lot of it is just what you're feeling today. Some days you want to just uh, sand mannequins and flesh hides or mount a turkey or skin a bobcat. And a lot of it is just you got to time what you do on how you feel because it turns out the best yeah. when you're good, you're in a great 
frame of mind. It's art. It's it's art, but it's kind of like making cookies. And if you don't want to make them, they don't turn out that great. But when you're, in the, when, you're in the mood, <laughs> when you're in the mood to make them and you throw a little bit of love in them, they mm -hmm. come out way better. So right. uh, we don't really have the, you have to do this, I have to do that. And that's that's we've been super flexible. And then um, being able to say, you know what, today's just not my day. Mm -hmm. and, and knowing when it's okay to tap out and say, I just can't focus today and you know got to go do something else and that that kind of flexibility makes it work and also know that you're not going to get along forever every single day yeah and like ryan said earlier be able to leave work at work and we've always done that we don't bring home the dirty laundry from work and bring it there and continue fighting about it it just it's it doesn't work that way yeah. and that's probably one of the better reasons for the building is when you got to have a break, you just, hey, I'm going to go up and walk to the house, have some lunch and yep. take, take a break. So it works. Well, something that like you have, that the shop has provided an entry into a world that, did you know you were going to get in this? Like what's something that like you realized being part of this taxidermy? kind of company and getting into the whole nature thing and seeing so much info and meeting wardens and like, like what's something that like really really got you into wanting to be involved with this whole process well I'd, our, my parents had owned a, had a business and we grew up running a campground so the working with the family dynamics was pretty pretty solid with us good business understanding and a, and a good business yep. understanding absolutely yep. and knowing that uh, like Rodney said earlier uh, profits were better than wages and you know it's always better to work for yourself the stress is different, of course, but yeah, for sure. you know, but you're, more, you're invested in yourself and not invested into an Somebody employer. Somebody else, right? Um, it ended up leading to a lot of other things. I mean, you know, like we, we became hunter safety instructors. You know, a friend mm -hmm. of mine's like, "You got a really nice building. Can I hold a course here?" And I'm like, "Sure." And then once he got here, next thing you know, we're doing them. You know, and and it, that was years and years and years ago. So yeah. it's led to a lot of different things. I remember. Um, Back in high school, Mr. Hellman. Oh yes, yeah. He was also one of your teachers too. Oh yes, yeah. Way back in the day. Um, I'm only 28. True, mm -hmm. I am older than you. Anyway. You did not have me when you were three. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, you may look 28, but your birth certificate does not say uh, that. That's all a lie. We'll talk about that <laughs> She's later. like forged documents, man. I remember. It's a conspiracy. Um, I'm in I'm in art class. We're we're doing pottery, and of course, he always talks about you and your twin sister Tammy all the time like since I graduated he was always talking about you guys and I remember he's like there's more than one way to skin a cat and he says right Ryan your mom taught you that <laughs> <laughs> and I just started laughing I'm like well off the top of my head I can think of at least three different cuts you can do and he just started <laughs> laughing even harder and uh, he's like yep he's like god you got your mom's wit don't you that was one of the things that I liked so much was having having not only like a really cool kind of environment for us to grow up in but one that my mother was into mm. because like honestly it sure. it was a little bit different what 30 years ago for women to be super involved in hunting and outdoors and even to be a taxidermist kind of unheard of pretty rare you know oh, what yeah. i mean like that's Absolutely. that wasn't something Unicorn like did you did you come into any challenges and what was your experience with that had a lot of people in the really beginning they kind of doubted me 
Um, again, I was by myself during hunting season, and Rodney's gone. And if anybody wants to have taxidermy done, they're walking in the shop, and they're going to be seeing you. They're seeing me, and the the hesitation in a lot of people. And I remember one time at a at a Yankee Classic when we first started doing, and we were talking about when you skin a deer and then you know to you can just twist the head off and the guy's like rolling his eyes at me and yeah 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 well ironically then that following november he shows up and i happen to be great perfect timing skinning a deer and he's like oh yeah you're gonna twist the head off and i looked at a guy and the customer too and i'm like okay here we go <laughs> and then i Watch those you boys. Know, yeah. cut through the head and just twist it right off no no board saw no skill yep. no no saw in any sense and then the guy goes oh i guess you weren't lying <laughs> open and, mouth and so <laughs> so he kind foot. of he kind of apologized nicely to me and then actually brought me coffee the following day and then he became <laughs> a, a really good customer so the the doubting part of it that I didn't know anything because mm -hmm. I was, again, um, I looked really young. I still do, of course. And, um, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that, that was probably the, the harder obstacles to, um, to overcome. I had a couple of gentlemen years and years ago that really doubted me, and I'm like, well, you know what? There's the door Yeah. because I'm just not going to put up with uh, rude people. Mm -hmm. and well, not to mention, you actually know what you're talking about. And believe it or not, I really do. Yeah. That, so, that part of it is, you know, some of the older generation, a woman yeah. knowing how to chop a deer head off, what's that? Yeah, right? a little you know, pushback. So there was a little bit of that long. But that, we're talking eons ago. Yeah, you know? we're talking. It, it's not so much a case now. And, no, not and, and, of course, it's it's a little bit more to the side of that, if anything. But, you know, we ended up uh, um, meeting game wardens, um, spending a lot of time uh, with the Fish and Wildlife Department, and we became a reporting station, and, and then we were reporting deer, and Mom was doing a lot of that. I mean, we were gone, and here you are trying to report deer, trying to saw on deer heads, and talk to new people as they walk in the door. And yep. Some of those Carrying days, some of those evenings, like on a Monday or Tuesday night, after a busy weekend of firearms blasting, and now those dead deer are headed to the meat cutters or whatever, and Teresa's going to be one, two, three. Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays were yep. super busy evenings, you know, when everybody's picking their deer head up and bringing it over. I can honestly say there was one one day, and it was crazy, and the weather was, was warm, that I honestly, honestly worked 25 hours in one day because there was a time change never went to bed and i'm like i just put in a 25 hour day and wow. that was that was super crazy and that's one of the drawbacks you yeah. know when when the sun shines you've got to deal with it yep, and you, you want to be a taxidermist um you might want to forget not ever hunting, hunting again and that's one of yeah. the drawbacks to the business is i actually gave up hunting it's that time of year when you're just like super busy and you mix that in, and even after deer season, you're still real busy. So, oh, you guys by are the time you, until March. By the time you you cape those heads and and write down what everybody wants, and you have all those discussions and talk about the hunts and you name it, and then they all finally make it home, and then you're another hour and a half skinning more if heads lucky. if you're lucky, you know. So it's it's been it's been something too, and uh, then eventually you you even got asked to be on the Fish and Wildlife Board and. Um, you know, everybody was understanding the amount of knowledge she knew. 
Oh yeah. And we're like seeking the advice, you know, and when you've been a reporting station for years on end and you've talked to hundreds and hundreds and thousands of sportsmen in a course of a, you know, what, 15, 20 years at right. that time. And, um, you, you, you know, quite a bit of when them big bucks die, you know, exactly when yep. the big bucks die. And you guys uh, have the data, you see when they're reported. So it's like, obviously, you know, firsthand what the deal is. That's right. You, you know? know, and then when you, you go to a deer meeting and they're talking about, you know, management and stuff, and you've got some really good input, doesn't take too long. And that gets noticed, you know, and, um, Teresa was lucky enough to get on the fish and wildlife board. And that was quite an experience. Uh, that was probably one of the, the highlights of my hunting involvement. Um, it was an absolute privilege and an honor to be on the, the board and to be the vice chair for the, the five years. I was on it for one year and then became vice chair for, for five years. And it was an absolute privilege um, to be able to be that involved in all the rules and regulation making of, with the department and all the changes that we were making and to try to do what was best for the hunters and the wildlife and all of that. So yeah, that was an absolute, absolute honor. Um, but also when you have your grandchildren go through Hunter Ed and you get to be their instructor and they get to be successful and then you get to take them hunting and that's that's a pretty cool highlight too yep. so yep. yeah everything has come in full circles and uh, can't wait to see where the next uh, adventures are won't be from. too long and some of the very first kids that we had go through our hunter safety course will now be having kids of their own yep. you'll get to and you get to see the next generation you get to see that yeah you know, so that that's really something to contribute back to something you like so much and make your your livelihood off off of what started out as a hobby in a in a pastime, and turn it into a business and make it go is really quite a feeling, um, and it, it, there's a wicked sense of accomplishment there that really feels nice. And when someone hangs that deer head on the wall and and they look at those memories and you get to bring it back, it's a 3D painting is all it is really of their experience. Um, it's really awesome when they're they're all excited to see it and now they they walk out the door smiling and. They're hanging on the wall and years and years later some of them i got to see you know you get to see them years later they moved and dropped it or <laughs> something happened yeah, to it and i i see a mount that you know i did you know 25 years ago and and to see what kind of shape it's in and how good a job i did there's been a lot of them i've been really proud of they're still holding up pretty good um there's always those few especially early on i wish i could do them again yeah no because so the, the quality the quality of, of you know as you do it and you get better at it really changes and and you can you can see that in a lot of what we do but i got a question for you mom um seeing how you were on the fish and wildlife board for five years what you what would you say was the biggest six years, six years excuse me <laughs> get your facts straight i know what would you say is your the, the biggest obstacle you faced when it came to being on the board, what was that? What was the experience like? The the process changed. We had uh, a lot more public uh, participation via email and and that kind of corresponding. So that we saw that that change um, really didn't have a lot of obstacles. It's just 
trying to balance what is best, but it's a no, long process. Some of that process. driving in the middle of the night oh, in the yeah. wintertime, you know, at, yeah. at 10, 30, 11, 30 at night yeah. when it's they, a blizzard and we have to go meetings. all the way across the state. Yeah, at, yeah. Like, at whatever location spread out over the state of Vermont. It's yeah. like, it's, Vermont's not the biggest state around, but it's a lot of driving. There's a lot of terrain you got to climb. It's not that unusual to have like... Hills both ways in the snow. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. And, and we would have sometimes, you know, 30... To 40 meetings in a course of a year i mean that's a that's a lot of driving that's a wicked lot of yeah. driving and and listening to people and and like just tabulating taking down notes for everybody and what was going on and, and then arranging your own thoughts spent a lot of time doing that oh it was crazy yeah because yeah. you want to again you want to make sure you really listen to everybody's thoughts and opinions because they they're just as invested as you are, and you're just trying to be the buffer between everybody and just to, to do what's best. You're not going to make everyone happy. It's absolutely impossible. But if you can le do it with heart and grace and leave knowing you did your absolute best in all circumstances, and I might have voted a couple of times that even Rodney wouldn't have, um, but that's okay. That's why the system works, because everybody has an opinion. And when you sit around, across from a table and you get to really know all the other board members and become friends and really comfortable with them, and you can agree to disagree, and it's okay. And that's why, again, the system works so well. Board is basically like this rubber bumper between the people's you know, public trust ownership of wildlife and uh, science and policing, right, the department of the wildlife, and then which of course they don't really make the decisions all that much. I mean, they make some of the decisions, especially scientific wise, but the, it is owned by the people and the people make their decisions. And it's important that you listen to them and then listen to what science and police say, the nature side of it, and then come to a good conclusion in between the two of them. And the board is basically this bumper between giving the public their wildlife but not giving them too much you know keeping that conserving part of it going so that it, we can hand it down to the next generation and hopefully it's in better shape when we do with having so much like perspective and opportunity to really like see the numbers tell us about tell us about apr yeah baby we're gonna get into that this is are you guys ready because is everybody ready for this it's one? pretty rare for for a state to to implement an antler point restriction this far north yes. you know we were one of the first ones first ish ones to to implement a restriction this far north in you know north america and it, it's a lot different with the deer yard situation and all of that well the problem with uh, the state of vermont is it's different you can go 15 miles and be in a completely different weather pattern. Mm. So the entire state to try to treat it as a whole entity when it can be completely different from one end of the state to the other end, winter severity, habitat, um, deer density, people population, all of that. So when, when you try to treat everything as one blanket rule, really, was a disservice to the, the hunting population. Yeah. Um, when the original APR, again, these are my thoughts, when the original APR went on, they didn't have any data. What do you mean? Um, they were taking, before they implemented it, they only had one year of data. 
is what they did before they implemented it. What so was the, what was the data on? What did what what had they gone during, through and measured was, and under what time frame? It was just use season. So they and so opening you, weekend. When you say data, you year. mean like they were collecting like they were antler? Co- were they, they were collecting doing, teeth? Like what was the deal? They were collecting teeth and they were doing um, beam diameters, but okay. they only had it one year. And then they said, "Hey, we're going to do an antler point restriction." So there was really no information to fall back on to see whether it was working well or yeah. there was a repercussion for doing it. Do you think that year that they had taken is what they had used for the rest of the APR as their base measurement? Do you oh, think that yeah, that's, that's exactly what they did? What they so did. how many, what would you guess was the number of deer that they based the APR on for that first 10-year period when they had gone to the first year and collected data? How many deer was the whole thing measured on? couple thousand how much of it was open to speculation of like couple perspective th- of what people thought oh was the right, right because again a lot of the biological check stations were not they were manned by um volunteers yeah so again when anybody measures anything you can get two separate measurements especially yep. because it's a round object and an eighth of an inch or a millimeter right you're, so is, you're going to have a lot more inconsistencies because no one's being there's no like set parameter saying there's this no is control. how you measure and like you, like Tara said, there's no controls. So it's not like there's a, three people doing all the measuring. Right. Yeah. No, one of the reasons that you do a biological check station is to measure the deer that come from the land because it's very difficult to measure the land. Yeah. You know, to say that your property or my property is like a 10 and, and yours is a, a 3, you know. So the best way to check out the woods and know how well they're doing is, of course, to, to measure the deer that come from that land. Yeah. And, you know, for... 35 40 whatever years we've always been measuring on opening weekend rifle season they always did a, a biological check weekend then and then there was a quick switch over to youth and it would and they now combined youth with that oh and it was one okay. year they put the two of them together and that that you know it was a little bit of a change that was, but, that was basically their benchmark their starting position for saying hey we we know we should be doing this now like how did why is it if like what year do you think this was what year was it boy i can't remember would you guess it's like because 16 it, years ago okay yeah, so, 16 so it was years it was 2004 2005 2005 yeah, it's right around there, so before yeah. then what do you think the reason was for not measuring the for actually getting lots of biological biological data off the deer why do you why do you think all of a sudden they said hey maybe we should start measuring this um it was again a, a Antlers is just a social measurement. Mm. It's it, it's purely social, and there was a push by a commissioner that we had back then who wanted um, antler point restrictions. So he wanted to grow bigger and better um, well, bucks. The, so the goal for that was basically just to say, hey, what's our buck age class structure, and how do we get bigger racks? Is that do you think that was basically the goal of it? Well, yeah, the goal was to to save one and a half year olds to have them grow to potentially be four or five and six year olds. That was that was the goal. And they figured, hey, we're going to do antler point restrictions and we're going to save all the year and a half olds. But again, because the data was really limited, there was no gauge to see if it was good or not. Well, the part of the data that was limited was, you know, the buck age class structure. You know, it's they, only they were pretty sure that you know the vast majority of the deer up until then that we were normally taking every year were one and a half year old bucks, 
and we'd like to make the twos, threes, and fours, and fives, yep. you know, more popular of the deer to be shot. Yep. And you've got to find some way of protecting them. And, yep. you know, it was thrown out there, maybe we want to give this a try. And uh, there, there's also another real thing you want to do before you go doing that, is you want to pull uh, teeth from the does and find out your average doe age. It was very important to know that our average doe was a five-year-old. Yep. And when you, you have an average doe of a five, that means the majority of your does are having twins. So if we had a real nasty winter or a couple of them in a row and the herd plummeted quite a bit, then it's nice to know that the majority of the does are having twins. Yep. So there's, that means your reboundability yeah, your after, back's better. Right, is real good. And, yep. and, but as we started the antler restriction and, and we said, well, let's try a five-year experiment, and that's what happened, and we, we gave it a whirl. And... Uh, over time, everybody seemed to really like it. Yep. Um, it saved over a third of the one and a half year olds, you know, so that they made it into the next yep. age class. And we weren't sure if it was going to be three or four year olds or five year olds, if, if that was going to be an increase in those, you know, no one would know, but yep. let's give it a whirl and see what happens. And then um, at, at almost like eight, nine, ten years of antler restriction. Yeah, almost four, almost ten. And and it was like, well, maybe we ought to revisit this, look back at it, and see if we're getting the kind of results that we were hoping for. Yep. And and of course, it's nice to know for sure instead of just like a biologist looking at the teeth, and and their accuracy isn't as good as pulling a tooth and counting the rings. Well, of course not. Right, so it's like, well, maybe we ought to be pulling teeth now, and, and yep. you were instrumental in getting that started, pulling lots of buck teeth, so that if you made any future, you'd know. You'd know the drill. Well, my concern, again, being a taxidermist, and I've been doing this for decades, um, we see older age class deer coming into the shop after opening weekend. And if your biological check stations were only taking biological data during opening weekend, then all of those older age class bucks are not being in the sample size. And I had an argument with um, one of our um, uh, deer biologists that w there was absolutely no older age class bucks. And I'm like, oh, um, I think you're wrong because I see, I see all the big boys and I see them when they're dying and it's definitely not opening weekend. And more like Thanksgiving. More like the weekend you of, had week the of Thanksgiving. You the weather and the people that and, took well, the time off. Right, the absolutely. Off. You yep. got the rut and, you know, all the younger bucks, are, they're the first ones to die because they're the kind of brain they're, damage. <laughs> um, all of us younger bucks, we're stupid. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, they're, they're homeless, horny teenagers, so what do you expect? So, yeah, oh, you, mom, know. You, you just hit me right in the yeah. spot. I know. Well, you're not homeless. At you're least. not a teenager. Get out of here. But you're not homeless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of them. I'm like, well, you really need to get all the biological data. So that's why um, we started doing it for the entire rifle season. And that was so every deer, every buck that was shot, it would be inclusive and be into the, the data. And we were absolutely surprised on the data that we were getting. Um, there yeah, how was, many older bucks There was 10, yeah. 11, was and yeah, 12 year olds, because yeah. I know when you shot Mushbuck and mm -hmm. he's an eight and a half year old, and again, that's the year I was arguing with the biologist. And I'm like, well, there's an eight and a half year old in my shop right now, my son just shot. So don't tell me there's yeah. no, he can't be the only old deer in the entire state yep. of Vermont. So um, again, we were super surprised by um, the data we were getting. And people seemed really enthusiastic because yeah. um, we've seen a social change 
Um, not how much did your deer weigh because that's what it used to be all the time. They could care less about antlers. They just yep. wanted to know how much it weighed. Yep. And now we've seen a social shift to uh, how old is your buck? So yeah. everybody wants to know when they come in the shop, yeah. how old is it? Yeah, well, it's a, it's like, another, well, I don't know it's, it's another birthday. number to add because like, you know, <laughs> the you're always chasing the extremes. Mm. You know what I mean? And as a as like a hunting culture and as a trophy society, which I think is a that just came to me. That just seems, that seems like a good way to put it is a trophy society, right? Because like not only are you chasing 200 pounders and chasing big rock racks, but now you also want older bucks because like the odds of getting them are really low. So when you do have something, you have something special, right? More so the, than the cat. That's right. So the rarer it is, the like the more prowess that comes with it. So you were actually seeing like and using the more seasoned hunter, yes. Yeah, and you were using that and that almost like the social impact of that was actually like more people were concerned and were more like enthusiastic to get their to get more biological data. So they were more willing and more supportive of the Fish and Wildlife Department actually gathering more buck data yeah, for that great. purpose as oh, well. Yeah. And people were really oh, happy. Yeah, they were was... really happy with the results and and truthfully it's it's a great thing. Um to a point, you know, it, it's like anything, yep. you know, and if there's a chance for improving things, it's, it's sometimes worth a shot. And that's the way everybody was looking at it, I think. You think that the the APR in your experience on the board had really benefited the deer herd as a whole? Or do you think that most of it was like our kind of like, put it in another another way, it was, do you think that you know, deciding how we are going to impact the deer herd as hunters, do you think that changed the deer herd in any way? What do you think were the effects on the deer herd of our antler point restriction as a whole over the course of the last, like, what, 16 years? I personally don't think there was yeah. any. I mean, I know there's millions and millions of theories out there. You talk to every hunter, they're going to, every hunter's going to have a different opinion. Yeah. Um, I think Vermont deer are breeding Vermont deer. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest issue is habitat and winter severity. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's we're back to being social. Deer don't care what they have for headgear. Um, as long as it works. As long as it works. <laughs> as long as it you stays know, they on, don't, you don't right, get your They don't really kicked. care. It's just, you know, they're just going to do their thing and that's all that matters. Um, the reason I did like the original APR was the safety aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, there was one year in... Um, the recent past in Vermont that we had zero hunting related accidents. Yeah. Um, when you can have a state with the amount of hunting hours that we have and out the, there. And the percentage year round, of the population that's actively hunting right, out we there have all the time. The highest yeah. right highest there, 15, population yeah. um, per second, capita it's beside, second to Alaska, right? It's second to Alaska. And when you have that, that's that's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So when we have with the with the APR, you had to look at your you know the deer and you had to identify it and yeah. hope, and looking beyond, you know there that was a good thing. Less of that brown is down. Absolutely. It's okay. It doesn't matter what it is. So a little less. You had to be you had to be a bit more wary because one you don't want to shoot the wrong deer and two there was also repercussions obviously from shooting not a legal deer. Right. So yeah. I think I think that part of it. But we as a hunting community and a state are just growing into a, another section what do you think the future is for the antler point restrictions because now they've actually implemented different uh restrictions based on where you are in the state what regions what what districts so what do you think what do you think the impact of this is can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that as well i think the impact was socially everybody was was good with it 
um, because the lower deer density areas, that's where they went to zero APR. To you increase know, had, opportunity? or To increase opportunity because uh, basically if you're going to see a buck, yeah. then the odds of you ever seeing another one, and you know it might have a, a fork on one side, might not, but as long as it has three inches of antlers, that's considered a, a buck in yeah. the state of Vermont. So I think people are happy about that. I'm not quite sure how the one buck thing's gonna roll in the next five years. What do you mean? Um, the state of Vermont has implemented you only get one buck per calendar year. So if you're bow hunting and you have a really nice eight, eight or 10 pointer and you, you take that buck, you're not rifle hunting. Yep. And I wasn't really for it because I think to save eight or 900 deer and limit the amount of hunting opportunity um, for hunters to possibly get a second buck um, I, I'll be surprised if it stays permanently, but if it does, it's okay. So the we're, numbers, we're the numbers change. say that it's less than a thousand, less than a thousand deer, or less than a thousand hunters, hunters. are shooting more that than one, buck, more than right. one buck that anyway. Buck, right. right, and if we painted it orange you and can, we put yeah, them in throughout yeah. the state, you'd never even find it. Yeah. So is it really? But limiting opportunity. Mm. But again, we're back to um, it's a social thing. There was a huge push to the department to wanted one buck. So you've seen a lot of support for that for that rule? We, the people that participated in it, we saw the support. The squeaky wheels as well. Absolutely, and that's, but a lot of the, the people that are the one being vocal and one talking about it at a, are at a different stage. Yep. And to say to um, somebody who's in their late teens, early 20s, just getting into this and, and addicted and loving it, and to say you can only shoot one buck, um, I, I think the repercussions are going to be larger than they expect. Yeah. Not to mention for like, um, it, would it be the same for like youth hunters? No, youth, youth, and now we have a, a novice season. Novice. Uh, novice. You want to explain to people what a novice yeah, season is? Yeah, anybody who goes, any resident who goes through hunter ed in the the state of Vermont, a Vermont resident, can have a it's novice weekend, so it's the same weekend as youth. And they're able to shoot an any deer. So it's basically like a youth season it's for everybody. Almost. For adults. For anyone who first is like, time first time license buyer. So how does wait? So the first time that you purchase a license after going through Hunter Ed, then they they basically give you that weekend. Is that it? youth weekend? Is it a weekend? The so, same weekend. Oh, so it's on youth weekend. Yep. So youth weekend follows the youth weekend rules. Yep. Isn't well, it occurs at the same time as yes, Youth Weekend. Youth so really, it's not Youth weekend. weekend anymore. It's no. Novice Weekend. Correct. Well, they're calling and it youth and, no, youth and Novice Weekend. Okay. So basically, like, allowing allowing people that have never done it before to have a little less pressure in the woods with them. Give them kind of like... And they a little the deer are still stupid, right? They right. haven't been too wound up, so kind of give them an easier time to and get And if in they there. get a buck, that's not considered off their buck tag. Hmm. So okay. they can yeah. continue. That would be the it's same. Like a bonus that would be the same as a youth hunter who yeah. would just shoot a buck. They could still, still go rifle, rifle and muzzleloader and. Bow I imagine hunting. that you guys that you had some pushback on that though. Uh, we did. We had then we had a lot of a lot of pushback from that. We had a lot of people who were like, "Oh, anybody in their late sixties, early seventies, we want to have a youth season for old people." Um, Again, can we have an experienced weekend? No. <laughs> if you're experienced, no, you don't. Yeah. So again, we're we're back to the, what I said earlier. You can't make everyone happy. Yeah. But we were, as a de the department was working on uh, recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So if you have somebody, an adult, who has just gone through Hunter Ed, 
and you have an opportunity and you have to hunt with somebody. So it's the same regulations and rules as you season. They yep. have to be with a licensed um, holder. So they'll have a chance to maybe experience a little bit um, more hunting culture that they wouldn't have if they had to just go out rifle hunting with, you know, everybody else. So what was the number one, like, moment or impact or, like, meeting? Or, like, what was one of, the, like, the big highlights from your, like, super deep involvement with Fish and Wildlife? What do you think was, like, one of your favorite things that had occurred? Whether it was a meeting, a rule, or something that he implemented, or somebody that you met, like what was a highlight? A conversation you've yeah, had. What was a highlight? Oh my goodness! Can can come back to me about that in about a week and a half, so I can, I can decide what is actually probably one of the best. Um, you got a lot of great letters. Oh my God! I got some some fantastic letters. I've gotten uh, fantastic phone calls. Some the the outpouring of of people and just thanking me for the, my commitment and my time and doing it to the best of my ability um, it was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I can't really pick out one in particular event. Um, got called uh, quite a few nasty names <laughs> and uh, from people who didn't like me for a particular reason one way or not yeah um some emails some uh again some phone calls you're like whoa maybe i need to call 911 <laughs> on that one um but yeah those were so far and few between they were just people yeah. venting which is okay too um wow i can't i can't really say uh, probably one of the Probably it would have been my absolute, actually the very first meeting I ever went to um, as a member. And I sat down and I said, nope, we're pulling all the teeth on bears because we need the data. And that was my very first meeting. And we need these transportation tags because I'm sick of the paper falling apart. And that was literally my first meeting. And the department went, whoa. Okay. They're like, oh crap! Like, oh. <laughs> this woman's got some cojones. We got a doer yeah. in here. All and, right. And, and yeah. this was the very first meeting, and I'm like, oh, I want this, 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 and this, and this, and well, I actually got it all. It just took a little longer. I'm yeah. Like, Can't we just do it in six months and yeah. just not? Well, have that's to the like... trouble with politics too. And it's a process too. It's a process. And more than absolutely. one person, and yep. you have a lot, of, and lot, of, lot of wheels. You got to make sure everything is covered. All your all your T's are crossed and all your I's are dotted. And sometimes change takes a little longer than you expect. Yeah. And, but it's always the right timing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I would say probably that, that very first meeting, a little nervous, only woman on the board that, that at that particular time. And it was a little intimidating because I'd never met any of them. And I just sat down, I'm like, okay, here I am. Good, bad, or otherwise. You broke a lot of ground for other women to want to get on there. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot yeah. of them saw her and said, "Boy, I'd like to be on there myself." And and you, we've all gotten to know some really fantastic people that were on the board themselves. You know, right. spent a lot of hours talking to them all. So oh, yeah. how many emails? I mean, oh, thousands. So yeah. you were the first woman on Vermont. So no, 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 I wasn't. But at the time when I was on, I was I was on the for a year. There was I was the only woman on. It hadn't been oh, a woman you. for like five or six years actually before me so it'd been quite a while yeah so that, yeah. it was but it, it was, was inspiring for a lot of others to apply that, yeah that part is and i'm like just apply i don't know you're going to get it or not just yeah, apply you, so yeah. you've been a bit of a trailblazer 
bit of a trailblazer. At least breaking ground. Like, that's right. Yes. Um, breaking something. Occasionally a coffee yeah. cup here and there, but that's a whole other story. You don't break it. If you chuck it and break it, that's not just like, oops. No. So Matt's smashing. That's not breaking. That's completely different. Oh, okay. Yeah, you gotta, okay. you gotta do that. What do you think? Uh, what do you think the future is for you and involvement with Fish and Wildlife? Because now you're not on the board anymore, but you guys are still involved with investigations and and you know still a reporting station. Like, oh yeah, thinks, uh, and we're we're still hunter ed instructors, so um, I can't see my involvement beside the board not being on the board. I can't see our involvement, uh, or at least what I do, um, really changing. Yep. For for quite a while, we absolutely. I, I personally love um, Hunter Ed. I love going through there, and as anybody who's ever gone through my class, I pretty much break down every time I hand a kid a car. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a really pivotal moment in my life. I just to see these kids, and they've tried so hard, and it's such um, a rite of passage for these uh, people and adults. And when we they're leaving the building for the last evening, and they're like, hey, I want to th- shake your hand. I want to say thank you so much yeah. for, and it was a great class and inspiring and had um, hundreds of people come back and with their game or just to say, hey, I uh, just want to stop in and say hi or uh, send emails with pictures. Uh, stop is, by with syrup. Stop by with syrup. I always like that. That's, yep. that's, that's a win always around we here. We like syrup. We yeah. love syrup, yes. I know um, one thing that I like to watch, especially the old stuck-in-their-ways crowd, especially like during Hunter Education, where, of course, you have a presence when you walk in a room, Mom. You know? You demand the floor when you demand the floor. And it's really interesting to watch the reactions change when you come on the scene. You're like, all right, this, you're delegating. This is what we do. You're taking charge. And all these old guys are just like, what's going on here? <laughs> and, and by the end of the three-day weekend class, their philosophy has completely flipped. And it's so cool to be able to see people, especially women in the hunting society, be able to do that, especially with this old-school mentality. And... The old school mentality is going to have a hard time if it doesn't change, for sure, because of the new wave of hunter coming in with more younger women coming in, the new generation coming in, and they're bringing their ideals. And do you think that's going to really benefit hunting in the long run, or do you think it's going to end up shifting back in a lot of ways? Oh, it's going to benefit hunting. Um, Hunting needs a facelift. It really does. Um, and I think um, one of the things with women and young girls bringing, um, getting into hunting, that's really, um, again, gave it a facelift. Um, we bring the softer side of hunting. Um, it's, we don't normally, we're not normally poachers and we're not normally The woman's you know, touch braggers. makes the yeah. public more comfortable. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And we're not normally pulling wings off flies. So, you know, when we can... But if we're a supporter of something and a staunch supporter, we'll support it till the day we die. So even if um, women get into it and then they get out of it for the demands of the rest of their lives, uh, children and raising children and careers or just it's not their thing, but they're okay supporting it if somebody else does it. And if there's a member of their immediate circle and they're saying, hey, I'm into hunting and they support it, they're just going to continue supporting it, which which is awesome. Right. I think um, 
I think hunting is, is going to change, um, but everything is. You know, society's changed. We're not uh, deer camp anymore. We're more of a internet, um, iPhone, social networking kind of deer camp. And everything's evolving to wherever it's going to go. I have no idea, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But I'm glad to be involved with it because yeah. it's, it's, again, it's, it's a fun ride and to see it all change. We wanted to foster, you know, man's relationship with nature. I, that's probably one of the most important things you can do, right? Nature gem demonstrates the working method, what works. It's not about force and control. It's not about um, anything but being able to deal with the circumstances that you're dealt with, right? If you get a tick, you have to deal with it, right? That's nature's way. If you fall off the building, gravity affects you, right? That All those natural laws that we have to pay attention to as a species, right? And it's so important that we understand nature completely and fully because then we'll be understanding ourselves. If you can't get nature, you won't understand you. Right? So it's very important that man do that. And we've tried, been trying to foster that relationship as much as we can with as many as we can. Mm. A lot of times just one at a time does a lot. I think you guys have a, a philosophy that's, that's pretty addictive. And I think a lot of people that come in and you know, they bring their deer and they, they come for the taxidermy and for the service and for the stories. And, but they stay for the relationships and you guys are so personable and, and the experience of walking in and you know, seeing you two in such a nice warm environment and then having mom's famous question come up, I think makes people, makes people love coming in here so much. Mom, oh, do you want sure. to tell us what your famous question is to every person that comes in here? For, I think he's I, running for our PR. I think so, too. He wants to be our advertiser. No, like, what, do you, what do you think? Uh, what's, your, what's your famous question? What do you ask everybody who brings a deer here? Well, everybody who walks in, uh, whether I'm reporting it or it's a potential customer, uh, first thing I say to them is congratulations. Did you have a good time? Um, and everybody that I meet, I say that every single time. Because it's not about the, the game. It's about the experience. And it's about going out there and having a good time. It's not, it's not always going to go well. But you really should strive to have a good time because you just took an animal's life, regardless of what animal it was, and it gave you a gift yep. of its life. There's some weight to it. There's a huge weight to it. and But you should appreciate that gift. But I really want them to have a good time. And it's not about antlers. I don't care if it's a 50-pound a, a doe fawn or a 200-pound buck or 200 inch whitetail i don't care it doesn't make a difference to me i treat them exactly the same way and i say congratulations as i shake their hand and i will be doing that this year regardless just to let you guys know that i'm still shaking your hand did you have a good time and tell me your story because i want to live vicariously through everybody's stories because that's the only thing we really have is the stories and i think that's that's a great example especially for the hunting community because women tend to not be trophy hunters and like you said they're going out there and their and their mindset and their and their end goal is different um, and i think that's gonna and like you're setting a great example for that and help changing the mindset to make people appreciate the game and to go out there not just to get a big buck 
but to go out there and have a good time because that's all you have. Is, Multiple layers is a good to time. something. Sure, and make an experience the most you can. Right, right. you know, it's really, uh, yep. is, is, you know, to a point, right? And, and everything has to be to a point. And then you, you know, maybe I'm at the point now where I start questioning some of the stuff that I do as a person. And, and I question also too, what effect it has on wild places and things and what effect it might have on someone else. Yep. And it's important that we do that. We question things because if you don't, then now we're just like robots. Now, now we're machines and yep. I don't want to be a, I'm not, I don't want to be a killing machine. I want to be able to enjoy every minute of it. I want to be able to utilize everything I've got going on. And I also want to fit in the scenario, right? Um, nature's harmony is give and take. And I want to make sure I, I give back as much as I can and, and take as little as I can, but also to appreciate it all as I get it. I know one thing. Um, we all need to send a big thanks to mom because none of this would actually be possible between the podcasts and the videos because while we're all having a good time playing around, mom's back here holding down the fort. We're working. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't do that. We're not, it's, not, it's not all funny games. Oh, it's, okay. You're right. I get, I get Taylor games. yelling at me. He's like, no, make sure you film it like this. I don't you need to take yell. this shot. I, I need yell. this and this from you. Hey. Okay, there's a little bit of work involved. Trying to put out Somebody's got to be in charge. Do you hear that? Do you I hear do. this pent-up aggression? I hear you, I'm, I'm getting no gratitude from That's the bees. No, you're <laughs> getting a lot of sass. But yeah, and, and she does. She holds down the fort and more than holds down the fort. She, she adds an opportunity for us to to really do what we want to do and gather so much time to spend with each other. But it was one of the things that we love so much is to come home and share it all with mom and like oh, yeah. surprise her. Like it doesn't matter what's going on. She has no idea what the deal is until we pull in the door with a deer or we show her the footage. We like she's to, not, we she's like not to watching her. the deer. The That's right. She doesn't watch YouTube. You yeah. She lets us, she lets it all unfold. And we have such a, such a big celebration. We all get back together. And it's yeah. so much fun coming home. If you know what's up with us, don't come in the shop and say, Hey, yeah, don't, don't ruin it. Ones, don't ruin it. Well, and I've no, had, don't. I've had, Dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Hey, I heard, oh, they're up in Maine. They're having a good time, right? Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, don't tell me. If, if, if whatever happens, I, I don't want to hear about really it. Like tell, us, tell us a story about Dad uh, Rumor Mill from Pittsburgh. Remember that one? Oh, my goodness, tell us, yeah. Tell that story real quick. So I'm uh, reporting a deer, and then I had a gentleman show up, and then... Uh, he's like, oh, I heard, I heard Rodney broke his leg. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, I heard Rodney broke his leg and uh, he had to go to the hospital, but he's back at camp. You know, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, no, he didn't. Well, yeah, he did. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't be surprised if he did break his leg. And then I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't know. But wait a minute, that just doesn't make any sense. So I actually went against my personal grain and said, okay, I have to find out. So I called a friend who happens to be a warden, who happens to know the warden up in Pittsburgh. That was Keith, right? And yeah, yeah. so I happened to call Keith and I'm like, Keith, I heard Rodney broke his leg. I need to find out. And of course we and, don't have service up there. Right, there's no service or anything. And then he contacts his friend, uh, Chris, who happens to be the warden up there and found out, no, there was absolutely nothing wrong with Rodney. And 
Well, if he if he broke his leg, he's uh, following himself, following around like going like ten miles that day. So again, uh, people love to start up rumors and all of that good other stuff. So, all it goes to show, like it's like the game telephone when we were kids. <laughs> Don't ruin you know. Yes. Somebody whispers, "Hey, the elephant's purple," and it comes back around. It's like the ladybug uh, sat on a know, on a mushroom or something. Yeah. So, again, like Rodney said earlier, if, if, if you ever hear or see anything uh, regarding the boys' hunting experiences um, when they're at camp and before they're coming home, don't tell me. Because I love to hear, <laughs> you know, but I'd like to hear it from them. Because if I already know everything that's happened and they show up, it's really no big deal. So that's been something we've done for the last 25, 30 years is I just don't know. I don't talk to them. They do call me when they get there, so I will let you know that. But otherwise, I just don't talk to them. I don't want to hear about it because I just want to live that experience and their joy and their excitement or their disappointment from them personally when they get home. So uh, I just I, I look forward to it. I absolutely look forward to it. And I've, I know there's been a few other wives who are now doing the same thing. Because right. otherwise, if you've talked to them 25 times before they get home, um, you could care less whether they're home because nothing really changed. So. Right. Nice to come home and have news. Yes, yeah, have yeah. something nice to talk to be about. Away. Nice but to that's the drawback when you work together all day long. You've already hashed it out. So yeah. they've heard. And, and, and with this media case. day and age, everybody knows what everybody shot. Right, almost like within seconds of them pulling the trigger. Yeah. You know, when when a guy's on Facebook and his buddy says, "Look, turn around and finish shooting the deer. It's not dead." As he films himself, you know, when, when that kind of stuff starts happening, okay, you got to back off just a little bit. Get a little, get a, right. get a little whoa, trigger whoa. happy well, with when, the old camera. When you have a gentleman media. in one stand and he shoots <laughs> a deer. Things happen, yeah. You have a gentleman in one stand, he shoots a deer, texts the picture to the guy, his wife, who happens to be friends with his hunting partner, his wife. She sends her, her girlfriend the picture. She sends it to the guy who's 300 yards down there in the next stand before he even had a chance to say, hey, I got a deer. So that kind of really changes. What a circle life is. You yeah. see how exciting it is in the culture. If you oh, get it's one a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. You get one. It's like everybody wants to know. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and cool. again, we don't care what it is. It's just right. yeah. regardless of what it is. The speed so. is a lot. What are, you guys, what are you guys looking forward to together uh, when you're moving into the future of Mountain Deer and running the shop together and with the whole outdoor world? What are you guys looking forward to? I'm looking forward to having a little help in here. <laughs> As he looks at the boys. You know, that part would be pretty handy, you know. Um, also, too, like getting all our bills paid off and being able to pick and choose just a little bit some of the things we'll do and how much we'll do and what we want to do will be kind of nice. I, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to teaching people a little bit. Yeah. I'd like to do a little bit more of that. Um, that part of it would be good for me. I don't know. Maybe you just want to retire. I don't know. A beach somewhere? Oh, she wants a beach. <laughs> a beach. You're a redhead, dude. I know. Yeah. Pick a beach yeah. with a little bit. Bring an umbrella or something. Well, I'll, take the, I'll take the beach in October. You know, I'm there okay you go. with That's that. That's a great I, idea. I, I'm, yeah, I don't really want to sit out there and, and burn like a lobster, but, you know. Uh, no, Future for us, uh, I'm really excited about the, the whole YouTube podcast thing. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely uh, love 
watching them and listening to it. Um, I Again, I don't get to hunt with the boys very often, so I get to feel like I'm there, which is which is super cool. And, and we got to get you out there. Oh, my God, yeah. And all the, the time and passion that you guys have for each other and the the whole experience and it's it's addictive to watch you guys and you laugh and and you shoot the hay and you're having such a good time it's truly addicted yeah and it's so much fun you laugh all the time and i just i just love that and that's been one of the good things about this whole videoing thing i get to watch you guys over and over and over and over again which which is cool and i wish we'd had way more film when you guys were a little really getting into it, but that's yeah. okay. Um, we'll take it, and we'll take when the little we got babies a little come bit. out. We just keep digging it out. Yeah, yeah, we do have some more Throwback Thursdays, and uh, I guess yeah, we're gonna we have to uh, yeah, buddy. throw a few more of those out. So yeah, yeah. I gotta ask, seeing how you're a taxidermist, other than moose, what is your favorite thing to to do in the shop? Um, I. Oh, we can't say that, can we? <laughs> okay, come on now, come on. This no. is a this is a family podcast. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot. Um, actually, I would say my my absolute favorite thing to do is a porcupine. I re- nobody does them. Wow, that's what really? Yeah, a porcupine, dude. That's really totally like backwards. She's all a like walking yeah. pincushion. I have no, I have no like desire. That's so backwards. <laughs> I know, but they're the cutest little things, and nobody will do them. They're It'll like the sea urchin of New England. <laughs> no, yeah. they're not. They're a sea urchin. Hedgepeg. It's a New they're England a sloth. sloth. <laughs> I know. They're the New England sloth. No, they're actually, I really like doing it. And, but I like doing turkeys. For too. the challenge of it? Rouse. Do you think and it's for the challenge of it? For the challenge, because nobody else will do it. Yeah. You know, and, and they really are super cute. <laughs> um, I love doing grouse. Yeah, grouse yeah. are really cute. Um, and I'm, I'm getting really good at them. Yep. You know, I like doing grouse. I, I would love to be able to do a spruce grouse. Yeah. Um, never done one of those. Right, and of course, spruce grouse are, federal, are federally protected, right? Right, right, right yeah. Um, it'd be really neat to do one of so those. So it'd have to be like on an educational basis, like so it was going to a school sure, yeah. or a library. And we've done, we've yeah. done owls and all kinds of You've guys done a falcon too, haven't you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. we've done falcons, yeah. we've done ospreys, owls, we've done ospreys. Hawks and yep. What's the most exotic thing you guys have done in the shop? When I say exotic, I mean like not native to New England. Well, I mean we'd done that big snake. Um, we did a twenty-foot uh, anaconda. You did. You mounted a twenty-foot anaconda. Well, we tanned the hide to it. Yeah. Um, just a monster snake. You know, about eighteen inches wide and almost twenty feet long. Holy the, cow! The hide. It took twenty-five pounds of salt. Pass. Twenty-five no. pounds of salt. Yeah, we did have the skull. Skulls Unlimited cleaned the, the skull for us, and it had seventy-eight teeth in it. it was pretty cool. Wow. Um, but that, that's really super unusual. I mean, we mounted an alligator from South Carolina. Yep. Um, we've done quite a bit of African stuff and whatnot. Um, so we, we get to see it all sooner or later. We've done a lot of songbirds and finches and all kinds of different stuff. So over the years, you know, um, and being federally licensed so we can do those kind of things for the department or whoever. Fish and Wildlife Service, we've done some stuff for them in, in Missisquoi and you name it. But... A lot of the a lot of the stuff you get to do, it's it's something new and different. That's one good thing about taxidermy. And and if you're really thinking about getting into taxidermy, as you know, either a hobby or a business, or just want to give it a try and give it a go, just do it. Okay, begin. All right. There's tons of ways of learning how to do it. You don't need anybody to hold your hand. 
the whole thing is duct tape and staples. I mean, if you have some, you know, ordinary bench skills and you're willing to give it a try, you can do it. And it's not rocket science by any means. And it's a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable. And um, I think if I was in Alaska in a cabin all winter long, I would be loving the taxidermy and, and doing the hides or whatever. If you had a trap line, that's what you do, your hides at night, right? You sit around indoors and take care of it in the cold winter. Are we moving? No, I'm just oh. saying that that's kind of what we got here. Your it's, internet's bad enough. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not to download oh, yeah. a video God, uploading a YouTube video does, or something does TDS here. Yes, no. reach Alaska. <laughs> TDS doesn't reach anywhere. No, no. So that part of it's been really good, and and it's been enjoyable. And and like I said, just just go for it. Just give it a try, and if you like it, and uh, you know, check out some of our videos. And we've got some. A few videos out there that are almost like starter type videos to get you going a little bit and get you practicing and thinking about it and and of course everybody likes things for different reasons and everybody learns in different ways and everybody should follow their interests when they're learning something and um, you know put your ego away about making a mistake or screwing something up don't worry about those things just go for it just do it and the pride you'll feel when you just do something you just make the decision to begin that's really where it's at, whether it's tracking deer or getting married, right? Absolutely. Just begin. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, Mom? Any, any kind of things, any message you want to tell the listeners of all this podcast? Uh, oh, I did apologize earlier, so I... Oh, my God. Why do they do that? I know. Time? Anyways, um, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity and how, how proud I am of, of you boys and Rodney uh-huh. about, Thanks, um, about inspiring others to get out there and hunt and try to give hunting um, kind of a facelift. And, you know, it's more about people than it is about the game. So, um, again, just, just go out there and do it. You can have a fantastic day hunting. You might not get anything, but it can still be the best day of your life. Yeah. So, um, sure. it, it's really worth it. I think everybody should should try it. And if you're not successful to whatever standard you're thinking, you might want to change what you view success as. That is awesome. That's a good point. Because everybody said. everybody's into antlered bucks, but you know it's maybe not the time you need it yet. Yeah, for sure. If Thank you're you. out there in the woods and you're enjoying yourself, yeah. good luck to you, everybody. Yep. And uh, won't be long, and we'll be doing it. Yep. We're going to be getting out there pretty quick. Mom, thank you so much for guest starring on the old podcast. We oh, definitely yeah. have to have you on here as a regular. Uh, we definitely want to get her in a bunch of videos coming this fall, and we want to get you out in the woods and see if we can get because you have not got a buck yet. No, you I have not. You haven't. So, like, that's, that's got her. She's gotten a buck's cousin, that big old Yeah, she's gotten a moose, and, and may, next time she's on the podcast or on a video, we'll have her tell you the story. Maybe we'll put that out on YouTube. Right. Yeah, that one's a, that's a throwback right there. That, that would be a great episode. Yeah. yeah. Nice moose. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much All for right. listening to this thank podcast. You, rate your success. Hope you guys had a great time. Comfortable. Comfortable. Hope you guys learned a lot. Hope you enjoy getting to know mom a little bit more. She's definitely going to be bouncing in and out. And uh, if you guys are ever to the up to the shop, swing in, say hi. She's a charismatic, fun, energetic, and passionate woman about everything she does. And I definitely think that anyone who meets her agrees. Well, until next time, guys, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Happy hunting, guys.